Hello and welcome to the Remembered podcast, part of our 2018 armistice project, There But Not There. Remembering those who fell in the First World War through silhouette and Tommy installations and raising funds in line with our three aims to commemorate, to educate and to heal. Over the next few months, we're speaking to other organisations and charities who are commemorating the end of the war in different ways. We'll also be speaking to some of the charities we're supporting this year to find out where the funds raised through sale of our Tommy figures will be going. You'll be able to find links to everything we talk about in the notes below, and you can also find out more on our website, therebutnotthere.org.uk. Follow us at Remembered2018 on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for more regular updates. And if you'd like to get in touch directly, you can email myself, Nikki and Fred at supporters at tbnt.org.uk. Today, we're very excited to be speaking to John Heinsohn. He's a Los Angeles-based filmmaker who spent the last three years investigating his grandfather's early work as a German combat photographer in the First World War. Most of the images from this time have never been released, uh, and John has painstakingly tracked down many of the locations and people who feature in these images. There's one image in particular which put him on a mission to track down the families of 30 British prisoners of war who were photographed by his grandfather after the Battle of Cambrai. Hi, John. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us for this. It's a really fantastic story. Let's start with telling us a little bit about how did you become aware of the work your grandfather did in the war and what was it that made you decide to dive sure. into his work? Sure. So um, uh, when I was a small boy, I remember seeing my grandfather's album. He had one album that had his photographs from World War I. Um, I was always a, a fan of history, so I knew the photographs in that context. And in 1980, they actually made a TV movie, a remake of All Quiet on the Western Front. And there's one particular scene in that movie where they film the soldiers falling up and down in the mud as part of their training. It's a critical point in the story. And when my grandfather saw that, it hit him and it reminded him of his experience in the war. And that's when he felt compelled to me, even though I was probably too young, some of the stories of his war experience. But when your grandfather was fighting in the war, photography was still in its very early stages. So how did he come to be a combat photographer rather than a regular soldier? Sure. And how much do you know about that, those early years that mm-hmm. he spent in the war? Mm-hmm. So um, my grandfather uh, is from a village outside of Hamburg. His father died when he was 10 years old. And his older brother that had already moved uh, away from home was a uh, photographer that had a studio. Um, I've, I, my grandfather was an apprentice of his. And so in 1917, when they lowered the draft age to 16, my grandfather was drafted. And uh, because he had this practical skill as an apprentice, he was saved from the trenches and sent to training as a aerial combat photographer. So he didn't spend any time fighting in the war. He, he shot the war with a camera, as you said before. So in the last three months of the war, he actually was sent to the trenches and was in Belgium, but saw very little action, but was there when the war ended. And so um, ever since my grandfather died, I've had his photographs mm-hmm. uh, in 1984. And so what happened was uh, in 2015, with the anniversary coming about, I decided I was going to try to go find where the pictures were taken. And so I was already in Europe with my son, and we decided we were going to drive up through Belgium from Frankfurt and then down to Paris, and just with very low expectations, see what we could find. Uh, We actually arrived in in Europe the week of the horrible terror attack in Paris in November of 2015. And because of that, we didn't go to Belgium and ended up in a part of France, Le Coteau. And that is actually where we found where the pictures were taken. And so in the process of that, we found one particular photo of Kaiser Wilhelm, 
that actually shows my grandfather with his camera. And that then made this big connection that started this huge journey that I've been on over the last almost three years. And you've been able to place your grandfather in some pretty significant places during the war, haven't you? I mean, that's yes. what's so fascinating is you have these old photos, which very few people have seen, of incredibly famous people. That's right. So what happened was, um, during the Battle of Cambrai, uh, there's a very famous story about a British tank, the Falcon II, that was captured by the Germans, and they were able to drive it away. And what isn't very well known is that the tank was actually taken to Cambrai, and there was a secret conference held at Cambrai on November 27th of 1917. Uh, at that meeting, the Kaiser was there and several other generals, and that's where they planned the counterattack of November 30th and studied the tank and was the Mark IV tank and was able to identify its weakness. And that's what allowed them to attack the battle. After the counterattack, because the Germans were so fascinated with these tanks and they weren't able to haul off the wrecks, they sent photographers into the field to document the tanks. And that's what I hypothesized my grandfather was doing. He was actually stationed at Boisterner Court, which is the airfield between La Coteau and Cambrai. So it makes sense that if he was there, they would have thrown him in a truck and taken him there. What's been really interesting in terms of my field work, and I've been to France nine times in the last two and a half years, is that the Battle of Cambrai is actually defined by the furthest most point of advance of the tanks. And so I've been able to identify these major tanks along this line and the fact that these photographs were never taken or never seen before. And what's interesting is, is that historians can actually date the photos because the counterattack was November 30th. And the battle ended December 5th because of snow, and none of my pictures have snow. So they were clearly taken during that time period, which make them very exciting, potentially new source material. Have, have you, you mentioned earlier to us before we started recording that some of these images have actually given a lot of new information to historians and museum curators. Are there any in particular that you might be able to share with us that have been particularly revelatory? Well, it's interesting. The more time I put into this project, the more that I get. And, yeah. and so, yeah. you know, pretty early on after I made the discovery, I satisfied my own personal need to find the photos. But now once I saw their historical significance and, you know, spending time in the fields in, on the Somme and in France and, and whatnot, you really do feel the weight of the men that were there that gave their lives. And that's something that's really driven my passion. Um, I've, I've been in the field and found live rounds, I've found human remains, all these other things that really get you on a human level. And so this is what's had me dig deeper and deeper and deeper to find the story behind every photograph. And in doing so, I have uncovered some significant things. Even just last week, I've identified a, a photograph of a pilot in flight that might very well be Hermann Goering, who is actually the pilot that replaced Rick Toven wow. uh, after he was killed in April of, of 18. Um, this whole why do you think that that might be going? Uh, so I did. So the photo I had thought had never been seen, but I actually found it in a discussion board where they were talking. They had the photo, and then in that they discussed that it had come out of Goering's wartime album. And it was a photo your grandfather took. Yes, it matches the photo in my album. It's an incredible find. Yeah. Speaking of that, Fred and I have found over this this past year, um, we've heard a lot of stories um, from people who've engaged with us, and mostly it's been about people. Um, digging around in archives and mm -hmm. finding out about relatives they've never actually met. But you actually knew your grandfather. So yes. how has that kind of changed, you know, your memories of him? How do you feel any closer to him? Because you've literally walked in his wartime mm -hmm. footsteps mm -hmm. now. Yes. So I, I've been to France nine times and I've actually only once uh, had a connection where I actually felt him with me, interestingly enough. 
It was the um, the photo I showed you earlier that was taken from the church steeple. Mm -hmm. And I was actually there on uh, November 30th this year, this last November, for the official British commemorations. And uh, I was walking back to my car, and I looked up at the church steeple, and that was the, the one time I, I really, really felt them. So it was pretty amazing. But, but prior to doing this research project, yes. how, and you, you said when you were, you were quite young, he talked to you about it. Mm -hmm. Have you kind of found out even more about his experience in, in exploring this? I, I guess you would have done because you would have been very young when he was alive. I really have not yet dug in on the German records. Mm -hmm. um, so in that regard, I don't necessarily have that much from him about that. Mm -hmm. It's really been about uh, being on the ground in France, finding the locations. Uh, the work I've been able to do with different British organizations has been a result of my uh, um, um having a dialogue with with uh, different organizations museums and even families yeah and you're looking to you know speak to more people about this right i mean you're yeah. looking for more leads and yes. you're looking to speak to experts so i was really struggling with the scope of the documentary i knew that this potentially uh, could be a museum exhibition my archive has about 200 photographs um uh, which is really great and so but i was really struggling with the documentary and when I was in Flecker last year, last November, for the commemorations, I met this woman, woman from Ipswich, named Lucy, and she was actually there uh, on behalf of her grandfather, who she really didn't know. And he had won the Military Cross for service there. And so she um, had seen my presentation the previous day, and we were walking on this road, and she started telling me about her grandfather. And she had come to Flecker to kind of heal for her grandfather. And she felt that my presentation really gave her that human connection she needed. And she gave me a hug and she said, you know, basically you're a member of my family now. She basically embraced me. And that was that moment that really showed me what the documentary needed to be about. It was about these human connections, honoring these men. And the, it's really about, you know, how do you memorialize the sacrifice of this generation on all sides? Because the thing I learned standing in the mud on a French farm field in the rain by myself on a field where thousands of men died is there were no winners. It was just horrible, a horrible thing that the ones that lived through were lucky and they, they did appreciate that in their lives. And so how do you memorialize the sacrifice of this generation and make it a message of peace for the future? And so, you know, peace, a lot of people think is this unobtainable thing. How can we have peace in the world? But I really do think, and, and through reading about Mandela and people like that, that it's really about embracing forgiveness as the path to peace because forgiveness is unique. You can grant forgiveness, or ask for forgiveness. And it's usually the first step that's the biggest step. Most faiths on earth are based on forgiveness. And so this is the big thing I want to instill in young people. You know, my son, he plays video games. He plays video games about World War I. People die every five minutes, every 10 minutes, and then they, they go on with their lives, they play again. And that's not how the real world is. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that all of the conflict in the Middle East now is literally because of the, the lines that were drawn at the Treaty of Versailles. They're, they're, the blood is being spilled for the peace that was won 100 years ago. And so these men need to, the, the, their sacrifice and the sacrifice of their families at home and for future generations, you know, that's the real thing that we need to keep alive. And that's what's so really driving my passion about um, uh, making the most of these materials I have around the centenary next month. You mentioned there you're, the documentary you're working on. I, mean, yes. I mentioned you're a filmmaker at the start of this, but... Mm -hmm. There's a particular focus to your documentary, isn't there? Obviously, we've heard a bit about your grandfather's story and your mm -hmm. research into that, but there's one particular focus that you really want to, to hone in on this documentary. 
Yes. So, um, so I have one particular photograph of, of 30 prisoners that were taken at Cambrai. Uh, it's probably somewhere between December 1st and December 4th, the photograph. <clears throat> uh, it's men that are clearly identified uh, in different units, so it was probably a collection point. Um, the photograph, um, uh, you know, we don't know what happened to these men. It was one year before the war ended. We don't know if they made it home or not. Um, they're all in pretty good shape in the photograph, but men easily got sick and died of disease in the camps and whatnot. Um, and these are all British soldiers, you think? These are all British soldiers, yes. And so what I want to do with this, my documentary is, is as a sign of peace and forgiveness 100 years later, the descendant of a German wants to bring these 30 British men home. And so I want to find the families of these 30 men and find out who they were, find out what happened to them, and make that human connection and bring this photograph to these families. Because this very well could be the last photograph of these men. The photographs are very high quality. You can see every it's one of so them. Clear, yeah. You can see everyone very specifically. And so the goal is with the, photo with the photograph is that I plan to release it here in London uh, the week of November 11th. Um, the, the documentary is going to be crowdsourced. So the idea would be that by releasing this to the, to the, the general public, families can talk about it and get a sense of whether or not they recognize anyone in the photographs. These could be the sons of someone's great-grandmother, men that never lived their lives. So we don't know if there's family or people to connect with. But I'm going to try. I've got 30 chances to try. And this is how I want to honor these men is to try to give this gift back. And so this photograph in my heart is really a gift to the British people. It's the idea of can we find these men and bring them home? And that's how I'm honoring my grandfather and uh, all these men. Potentially you're providing closure to people who, who might not know their, Potentially. Their, how a story ended for their relatives. So. Sure, absolutely. We don't know if these men were able to write letters home. There might be connections there. Um, there might be people. The photograph is clearly staged. This is not a group of men sitting on the ground. They're being positioned for this photograph. So maybe somebody recollects having their picture taken, believe it or not. I mean, that would obviously be the... The, the craziest thing I could find. But but the, the photograph's really interesting, and it tells its own story in that here are these men that were bulging through the trenches in this great effort, the Battle of Combrie, and then stopped cold by the counter the counterattack. And so now they're faced with this reality, maybe just by a few hours, that they're prisoners. And so what does that mean? And you've got a whole gamut of emotions in this photograph. You have men that are exhausted. You have men that are scared. You have men that are traumatized. All these other things. We don't know what they experienced before it being brought to this picture. So that's the thing that it really expresses everything of that these men felt. You know, their, 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 their future wasn't certain. And so I'm for as much as closure for families, I'm trying to find closure for these men. A lot of people don't know the Battle of Cambrai actually has a memorial to 7,000 British soldiers they never even were able to bury. And so that too is part of that story of that battle. And I think, um, again, like I said, just the story of these men, these men from all walks of life, it's really important for people to remember. And I, I think it's a spirit that people really do uh, feel here in England. I've certainly felt it. I, you know, I'm, I live in Los Angeles and in the States, I feel that the remembrance of World War I is very soft. Um, I had a grandfather on the other side, great-grandfather, who fought uh, in France on the, for the American Army. And um, uh, Barry was even little known within my own family about him. So I know that there's this great pride here in England for these men and the idea of, you know, remember them is so important. And so that's why I'm going to be here in London uh, the first week of November. I could be in Paris where all the bigger commemorations are going to be, but I'd, I'd rather be here where it's going to be more quiet. And, and like I said, just really be here with these men and hopefully find their families. 
As well as trying to bring these 30 men home, you're also looking to bring these stories to a younger generation. Yes. Um, but you're using very different media to do that. So could you tell us more about those projects? Because I, I think that's an incredible way of engaging the younger generation. Sure. In Flacare last year, I, I met an author who had written a graphic novel about the, the war called The Last Brady. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the Battle of Combrie, the same battle my grandfather was in. And so I'm, I'm working with him to develop a new graphic novel. And it's actually going to be about my grandfather, the 16-year-old photographer with his camera, that he shoots the war with his camera and not a gun, and about all these experiences in the battle that he has. And so actually this moment where he sees the POWs will probably be in the graphic novel. Fantastic. Yeah. And I think you're working with your son as well, who's your son's yes. 15? Yes, he's 15 now. And so we he's been involved with many of my travels. I spent six weeks uh, the summer before last with both of my sons on the field doing field work. And um, yes, uh, uh, working with him to write a book that would be in his voice about experiencing history, walking in the footsteps of his great grandfather, who's at the same age. That's another project I'm hoping to do. So yeah, he would have been yeah. the same age, wouldn't he? Yeah. Wow. How's he found it? You know, from his understanding of the First World War before you guys started doing this sort of thing together, sure. have you seen his, sure. his view of it change? And- Absolutely. Well, he definitely, um, like many kids of this age, play the video games and all the rest. And uh, But no, actually, having experienced it now, um, uh, really seeing and feeling it and all the rest, it, it really is uh, something that's changed his perspective on it. You know, I'm very lucky. He's a very uh, a good young man. He's very um, responsible and mature. He's an Eagle Scout and all that great stuff. So, uh, But it's been great to share this with, with uh, the future generations as well. The fact that I knew my grandfather, um, who was born in the 1800s, and I'm under 50 years old, is really unusual. Most of the grandchildren are 20 years older, right? And so that's that's very unusual. And so I think that um, I've got a lot of support from different historians and whatnot because they know that um, there isn't always a lot of interest in these kind of stories, this history. I think a lot of people have already checked out and moved on to World War II because they know that history more and it's more of a personal connection. So yeah, no, it's, it's wonderful I've been able to share this with my children. And it's very important, like I said, that the message of peace and forgiveness is really the message for uh, uh, for the people that experience these photos, the exhibition, and the documentary. What happened to your grandfather after the war? So after the war, he uh, uh, returned to Hamburg. He was in art school, and he actually came to the U.S. in 1925 uh, because of the political unrest there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he actually uh, his uh, he was in art school. He had a roommate. Uh, the story was told to me that he had spent the night at his girlfriend's house. And he came back the next day and his roommate's throat was cut. And this was during the political upheaval where that was going in this turmoil that eventually elevated Hitler to power. <clears throat> so my grandfather came to the U.S. His sister had, had married a, a Jewish man, and so she had already emigrated to the U.S. And so my grandfather then came to Chicago and started his studio there. Wow. wow. <laughs> Looking back on some of his photographs, which... Mm-hmm. John's going to be kind enough to allow us to use some of them. So anyone listening who wants to look at some of the photos we've mentioned, do look in the show notes. They are just incredible. It's so clear. They're amazing. They're not what you'd expect for 100 years old at all. No, no. Yeah, tell us about what you know of how he got these shots from a plane. You know, it's you've got two incredibly new pieces of technology right. and your grandfather right. is working across both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I've been working with an author in America, Terry fin- Terrence Finnegan, and he is the uh, expert on aerial photography in World War One. It actually was a, a very um, precise science. The plane had to be perfectly flat, you know, to capture the images. 
That's why the fighter escorts were so important, because they would shake off the other planes. The life expectancy of aerial observers was even lower than pilots, because obviously the and the opposing pilots would want to take the... They'd be the target. Yeah, they'd be the target. So, um, yeah, the photographs are extremely clear. Most of them are, are part of the spring offensive. Uh, so that would be from January, you know, until uh, April, May of, of 18. Um, the photographs are very clear. What's really interesting is, is is comparing 1917 technology to technology today. I've been able to find a great deal of the locations using Google Earth. In all honesty, I don't have to travel to France to find them. And so in a lot of my field work, I've actually been able to go to these fields, literally meet the farmers in the fields, not knowing that there had always been a trench there, uh, even though they obviously knew there was fighting. So I'm hoping that these aerial photographs, many of which are of British installations, uh, aerodromes like Bertangles, which was a major aerodrome, uh, one of the major ho British hospitals at Revent, um, uh, these are places that the British probably were not photographing their own stuff. So I'm really hoping, uh, my, my great desire is that this archive can be used for research. Um, and I have, I've been talking to several institutions in terms of who the repository will be for this a collection once I tour it, but um, it eventually will be available for research researchers. And if anyone is interested in, in finding <clears throat> out more or in particular wants to get in touch with John to discuss any of his photographs, how would you like them to get in touch? Yes, so my, my, um, so my project actually has a Facebook page. Uh, the easiest way to find it is hashtag WW1 History Rediscovered. We'll link it as well, so it'd be yes. nice and easy. So if you go to the show notes, you can just click and you'll go straight there. Right. The website for the uh, the release of this photo and the documentary uh, will be coming out later. Before you go, I, I'm just curious, what do you think your grandfather would think of this project and of you exploring more of what he'd done? Well, like a lot of artists of his generation, I, he was very anti-war. That was the one big thing he instilled in me. Uh, being a young child and not having a father, he just said, he just, you know, don't ever join the army. War is horrible. All these things. He was very uh, afraid of the world to come. This is in the 1980s, you know, so he didn't know what the world was going to be like and all the rest. And um, I think he'd be amazed that I found where the photos were taken. I think he'd be very hopefully happy and proud that I'm really trying to uh, make something meaningful out of the photos. He's had these photos in his album for 100 years, and they're in extremely good condition because of that fact. He never wanted to profit from the photographs. He never tried to do anything with the photographs. And like a lot of men of that generation, their stories stayed close on the inside. Um, I think that, you know, the idea of remembering these men, the men that were lost is, is, is a noble effort. I'm really happy about it. I've been bootstrapping the project myself. I'm not, I don't have backers or things like that. I, I don't know if a foundation's in my future. I, I, I would love to be able to uh, uh, fund education programs for children, you know, based on the, the message of what this history represents. And so, like I said, it's really just about, um, you know, he, you know, he, uh, when he came to Chicago, his photography studio there, Bunny Graph specialized in children. And so that was really the focus of his life was the young. And so that's in my own way, the same situation. I really want to give something to young people, uh, for the memory of all these men that can't speak for themselves. So you've come over from America. How long are you over here for? Now. Just just this week, uh, just this week, I'm doing a slew of meetings. I'm going to the uh, National Army Museum today, and I'm going to Bovington tomorrow to go through their archives and to see what they have. And um, I'm very excited to be here. Everybody's been always wonderful. I mean, that's the other thing too that's really been great. I've I've met a lot of British families and things like that. And although, you know, I'm American, my grandpa came to the U.S. He was American. I've always I've never been felt with any anger 
oh, this is the German side. The Germans were horrible. And, you know, uh, just war is horrible. You know what I mean? I think that's really what it is. And and so um, it's just wonderful to be here. And everybody's been great. And uh, I look forward to being here in November. Yeah, thanks for fitting us in. Um, yeah, do let us know what you come up with ahead of November. And we I really will. hope that this project takes off. It's amazing. Well, well, I really think that what you're doing with There But Not There is, is really wonderful. And I know you've brought it over to America. Um, and I really do hope it catches on there. Uh, my friend in Ipswich, the one that, um, uh, the doctor that I had that connection with her and her grandfather, I actually uh, donated some money. They're actually raising money for the 18 statues for the 18 men from that oh, village that died. Wonderful. So I've been working, you know, talking with her and helping her and stuff. So it's really great. Doing some plugging for us. There you go. Absolutely. I think it's great. Thank you so much for listening, as always. Don't forget, you can visit our website to sign up to our monthly newsletter and you can follow us at Remembered2018 on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. If you visit our show notes, you'll be able to see the fantastic photographs that John will be sharing with us and we will link to where you can find him on the internet. Follow us on our social media and we will obviously share any updates from John as we have them. We would really appreciate you leaving us a review and please do share the podcast with your friends and followers and we'll see you next week.